Hello and welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the podcast where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I am Chris and I am here with Patrick. Yo. And Steven. Hello. And we are here today to discuss the Netflix original film, Night Books. A family film. This should we're we're actually pivoting to every family movie on Netflix. Did I tell you that? We're gonna have to change our acronym though. It's gonna be (laughs) FMON. Sure, why not? (laughs) We've been doing this long enough. Change it up. But before we get into our discussion of night books, uh, we like to do a little horror catch-up where we talk about all the spooky things we've been consuming outside of our assignments for the show. Uh, so what, what's what's going on, guys? You do anything uh, noteworthy? Have you read anything good? Seen anything good on TV? Movies? Etc.? Well, n- not a lot for me this week, but I did do something that was weirdly... And unintentionally in keeping with um, kind of the spirit of this week's episode, and and in fact the spirit of Fmon, uh, I am a child. Me, I had a child. Yeah. No, actually, I did the exact opposite of that in the past two weeks. <laughs> um, I had a vasectomy. Nothing. <laughs> that sounded way more serious than it actually <laughs> is. Um, but no, I, I I have no idea how I got on um, on, on this track in the first place, but. <laughs> I tracked down a copy of a uh, book that I loved when I was a child uh, called Tales of Terror, uh, and that's spelled T-A-I-L-S. It is a book from the Wishbone series. This was the spinoff series from the the PBS show back in the day. Those who may not be familiar know that this was a show about a Jack Russell Terrier who loved books and in the course of the show would basically reenact the plot of classic literature. And there was a series of spinoff tie-in novels for kids that were also similarly adaptations starring Wishbone the dog. And this Tales of Terror is an adaptation of eight different classic horror short stories, um, all kind of like from the, I want to say mid eight, mid to late 1800s. It's kind of old, like classic stuff. One of the, the first one actually in the book is Green Tea by uh, Sheridan Le, Le Fanu. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Um, That's close enough. Yeah, close enough. But I remember this shit fucked me up as a child. Like that story haunted me. And it was the wishbone <laughs> version of it starring a dog in, in the, uh, the, the uh, lead role but it's been uh, it's been fun going back over that uh some of the stories still slap and it's making me honestly want to track down the originals of these things which i guess is the the intention it was supposed to have for children in the first place but not exactly what i did with it when i was a kid if you ever wonder when my patrick gets on every two weeks and he's like i read three or four books it's because a love of reading was instilled in him by a dog when he was a child. Oh, oh I thought you were going to say gonna it's say, because it's I read the Wishbone, Wishbone version. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's just reading Wishbone versions every week. Yeah, I'm over here reading the Wishbone version of her body and other parties. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it for me. Any other memorable stories in that one? I'm trying to find it. Looks like there's a bunch of them. I mean, I can imagine there being like, like the pit and the pendulum. But it, like it's a dog tied up and it's a big newspaper swinging back and forth. <laughs> it's actually nothing uh, so iconic as that. I mean, I want to say that the Le Fanu story is the kind of the most notable uh, author and most recognizable story in the book. It's surprisingly like 
I guess, kind of deep cuts, um, which I might be wrong on. You know, I, Stephen, you're much more well-versed on these things than I am. And you might look at it and be like, oh, these are all like classics, but none of them were recognizable to me other than green tea. Mm. And the weird thing is like, other than it being a dog and, you know, it'll, so if there's a bit where like he puts his hand on someone's shoulder, it'll say, I put my paw on his shoulder. But other than that, like, it's just the story. Like, there's no, there's nothing else that's dog specific. It's just like occasionally, like, <laughs> you'll be reminded that this is a dog. Uh, you know, there's not like he's looking for a, a bone in the haunted house or something. It's just the story, except every so often you're reminded, oh, the, oh, the protagonist is a Jack Russell Terrier. If he oh, was looking for a bone, that could still be kind of creepy, though. It could. Yeah, speaking of reading, I mentioned on the last episode that I was uh, kind of in the thick of a couple of books. Haven't made a lot of progress. It's been a busy couple of weeks. But uh, one of our listeners did reach out and expressed interest in us, you know, maybe doing some kind of book club or something. Seems like a lot of work, but if we could get somebody else on board to help shepherd that into fruition, I don't know. Could happen. Could be interesting. Uh, but that's all I got. I haven't really watched anything uh, horror related. Just a lot of a lot of um, a lot of HBO, a lot of television, a lot of light comedy. What about you, Christopher? I have not watched much except um, I did watch most of the last episode of the last driving. So Joe Bob Briggs introduced me to Slaughterhouse, a slasher film. The Slaughterhouse trappings were slightly interesting. I don't know if either of you have seen this movie. I just know the poster. Um, I think they had a couple versions of it at Motor City Nightmares, and I went oh. to look it up and see what it was. Poster's very generic. It's, it kind of looks like the uh, the Maniac poster. Yeah, it's like Maniac except full body. Yeah. Um, not a great film. Sort of interesting to me because it was sort of adjacent to the concept of farming and commercial farming and the, the opening credits of the movie are actually set to images of hog slaughter i thought i was watching earthlings for a minute i thought joaquin was going to start talking to me for a minute um but that didn't happen uh but it held my attention more or less and then um then he put on tenebrae by dario argento mm. And I thought that was very interesting. It was, it was, it was, I was too sleepy though. I said, this looks like too good of a movie to watch this sleepy. So I'm going to come back to this. But uh, Dario Argento is kind of a blind spot for me. I really haven't seen much of his stuff. So I'm a fake horror fan. Um, <laughs> so I've only seen a handful and you know, they, they, they varied from great to absolutely terrible that you can't take your eyes off it. I mean, if nothing else, the man knows how to move a camera. <laughs> got a lot of, lot of tricks up his sleeve <laughs> I don't, whether or not he knows how to move the camera he certainly moves the camera <laughs> he certainly knows how to grab your attention with it <laughs> chris you've seen suspiria right no i haven't oh you have big fan okay. no wow okay. the, yeah this tenebrae has like a two minute shot where the camera's just kind of aimlessly going around the outside of a building like extreme close-ups on the building wall like peeking through the windows on occasion at, at great length so Certainly mm. a mover, that one. I, I, I can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out. I saw a screen grab from it. That oh, was... does he really? Oh, my oh God. I thought he I was dead. A... I thought he no. was dead. That's why I said that. He's, he, I guess he's not dead. Wikipedia I... says he's alive. He's 81. Yes. Um, somebody's doing a retrospective of all of his films leading up to his new one. Um, 
I'll have to find it later and show you guys, but I saw a, a subtitled screen grab that was fucking hilarious because he's he's been known to become increasingly out of touch and um, his he's one of those directors where like his new films kind of make you wonder if he was ever the kind of mad genius we thought he was in the first place. Anyway, I'm curious to hear how that's received. It sounds more like a Glenn Danzig movie than a classic <laughs> Argento. <laughs> Well, our movie for today is Night Books, and this is directed by uh, the guy who did Brightburn, actually. I think he's only made those two films. Though. I was going to say, why is that notable? David Yarovesky. I don't know, just because I always like to see, you know, these movies pop up on Netflix, and you're always like, who made this? And that turns out to like be someone who made something else that got like a larger theatrical release, and I always find that interesting. Like when our friend who did at the devil's door ended up doing the prodigy which i saw in the theater that's kind of cool for me i don't know but yeah it's not really relevant although you know both star children i suppose i don't know did you see brightburn i didn't see brightburn i heard it i heard it was not great no 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 isn't it like evil child superman sort of is the premise yeah yeah that's about all i know of it and i think that may be all it is the trailer looked terrible and also i feel like i saw the whole movie because i saw the trailer like the trailer just kind of showed me everything i was like oh okay i got i got it it's cool hate it hate it when that happens anyway um and it's based on a book a child's book by j.a white who uh, i guess making creepy kids books is his bread and butter um so yeah this is the story of a young boy what's his name alex josh Al alex it's alex a young boy named alex who uh we meet him and he's having a halloween themed or a horror themed party i think it's his birthday and all of his friends have forsaken him no one wants to come to his party and so he renounces his horror fandom uh as as so, several of us have come close to doing based on <laughs> i've been so close to just packing up my fangorias and throwing them in the trash yeah so so he takes all his uh he's gonna throw away all his things and he's gonna throw away the books in which he writes his horror stories the titular night books but on his way down to the furnace to burn his books to burn his manuscripts he is enchanted by a apartment door that is open where there's a tv inside playing the lost boys and he is whisked away to a witch's house, a magic witch's house. And the witch says, she's going to just kill him on the spot. But he says, listen, I have a skill. I can write stories or I used to write stories. And basically he has to write a spooky story and tell it to the witch every single night to save his life. And uh, so that's sort of the premise of the movie. That's the challenge Alex finds themselves in, and he's just got to find a way to outsmart the witch and escape the house and get back to his normal life and not be an abducted child. Basically a horror Arabian Nights. I'm not as learned to know the concept of Arabian Nights. Arabian Nights, someone someone has to tell a thousand and one stories every, once a night to, like, I think it's to spare their life. Yeah, I forget the original mythology. I think the Aladdin legend is one of the 1001 stories. Yeah, it is. I was going to say, they. I know that. They told some good ones then, so good for them. <laughs> is it a thousand or a thousand and one? Thousand and one. Okay, that's what I thought. 
Yeah. Thousand and one stories you must read before you die. <laughs> so, so the first thing that struck me about this movie and kind of kind of put me off at first is this little moppet. He's like ten years old or something. I don't know. Is he ten? How old are? I don't know like how nine, old kids 10. are. Nine, ten, it's eleven. Hard to tell. Yeah, I, I'm bad at this. Some people I can't I can't age a kid worth a damn. <laughs> so. Oh boy! But <laughs> his, step on that landmine. <laughs> but his bedroom is just covered with like sort of like Gen X '80s nostalgia bullshit. Like this is a bullshit, dude. That's what my room looked like when I was a kid. Minus the Fangoria's because I wasn't allowed to have. One. Yeah, but you're talking about growing up in the early '90s where you're in you know some sort of proximity to to that stuff and i just i don't know it it seems sort of a like a self-indulgent uh writer or or creative team kind of mm. putting their childhood onto this 10 year old kid in the contemporary setting i thought it was a little weird i was like i don't know does it is a 10 year old geeking out over the lost boys it all seems kind of performative to me it kind of seems like oh here here's all these horror fan signifiers that adults recognize that we're going to put in this movie well, there's a long lineage of this, um, and I, God, I, I feel like I read an article about it. If there isn't one, I should write it, but there's a long lineage in horror films, especially gateway horror films, of, like, the horror kid's bedroom. Like, I think specifically of Salem's Lot, and if you look back to that film, you know, that takes place in the 70s, mi middle 70s, I believe, and the kid has all universal posters in his room. You know, these films are... 30, 40 years old at that point. Yeah. So who's to say? There were probably kids growing up watching Lost Boys, Pet Cemetery. I was into today. Universal Monsters as a kid. I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just making too much of it. I just thought it was weird that this 10-year-old kid walking around today is like exclusively dressed, has his room exclusively dressed in the stuff that like Gen X nerds geek out on. Well, I want to, okay, I, I don't want to derail our conversation, but I do think this is interesting and I want to hold on this for a minute. One question, well, one one thought is that I think a lot of kids who are into horror kind of have lenient parents and grow up on what their parents let them watch. Lost Boys was one of those movies for me, and I would bet if I was raising a kid today, they would see The Lost Boys at about nine or ten years old and hopefully become as obsessed with it as I did. But if that's not the case in this universe, what what kind of media do you think he would a kid today that age would be celebrating? You know, stuff that maybe came out in the 90s, early 2000s. Hubie Halloween. Probably fucking, oh, oh, probably fucking Sinister Scream. and Insidious and shit. Just wall-to-wall -wall James Wan. I mean, probably like yeah. super contemporary. Just like the new, yeah, the stuff that's out now, you know. Yeah. Every, every horror movie on Netflix. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be a Not huge fan Blanco of At the, the Devil's, Devil's Door. door. <laughs> <laughs> cargo. <laughs> not, 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 not even a kid like that would like Cargo. Oh, my God. <laughs> You guys are such fuckers. <laughs> I, I thought of the argument that maybe his parents have turned him onto this shit, but his parents seem as sort of dismayed by his obsession as anybody, including all his friends who have, as Chris said, forsaken him. So I can't make that excuse for it, but also it didn't bother me. I'm like, whatever, you know, nerdy kids gonna nerdy kid that it didn't bother me. It's, it's really not important. I was charmed by this opening scene and it's extremely on the nose dialogue, intentionally on the nose mm -hmm. dialogue. Like his parents are explaining the scenario, you know, I, I forget the exact lines, but it's, it's all there for you. And this kid talks to himself so much in the movie and it's all to me felt very self-aware and very charming, not forced, not like kind of smarmy, cynical, but just charming. 
I was not charmed by it. I would like to be charmed by that that scenario. It also reminded me a lot of the wraparound. It was kind of like the reverse of the wraparound for creep shit. You know, with the kid whose parents make him throw away all of his horror shit. Yeah. And he gets revenge on them. I kind of kind of like that a little better. It's got a little edge to it. But this this kid and kind of a recurring theme here is since this is the last straw. He's being a horror fan apparently just makes you weird and ostracized. Yeah, so so he has like an existential crisis where he's like I'm weird and I'm defective and you know, I guess things that are relatable to children and and this is a family movie, so it's kind of a, kind of a universal theme. I think you see that a lot in in kids movies, oh, you know. I've lived that. In fact, it's I it's hard for times over. It's hard for me to think of like a family/children's slash movie where the protagonist doesn't think there's something fundamentally wrong with them. Has a major self-esteem issue. I mean, I still think there's something fundamentally wrong with me and I have a major self-esteem issue and I'm 33 fucking years old. So yeah, it's been relatable sure. for a long time. Yeah. I'm going to go, you um, know what? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm logging off this episode. I'm going to go burn all my, actually, I don't, I don't collect physical media, so I have nothing to burn. This is perfect. It's so easy to make a new start. <laughs> yeah. You just got to set up a new profile on Netflix and start watching romantic comedies. No one will ever know. The algorithm won't know. So in the witch's apartment, right? Do we want to jump back to that? Well, I mean, he, we meet the we meet the witch, and the, yeah. the the witch is played by Motor City Comic Con no show Kristen Ritter, iconic queen. My uh, yeah, our our queen who's too good for us to show her face at the Suburban Collection Showplace in Novi, Michigan. When <laughs> you we're get there. so upset about who does and doesn't show up at Motor City Comic Con in I'm, Novi, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I'm still mad at Margot Kidder. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tweet her then? She died. <laughs> was it like the, wasn't it like the day before we went it to Comic Con? It was soon. It was like two days before they had her booth set up and it oh became like a little makeshift shrine and everything. It was, it was pretty I sad. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it was pretty sad. A friend of the show, um, Bill Riser, took a picture of me in costume as Hawkeye and Chris in costume as the lizard from Spider-Man uh, taking a knee in front of Marco Kidder's booth. That was the vibe that day. Sure, she would have loved it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, Kristen Ritter, she's our witch, Natasha. Um, and, and what is there to say about her? She has uh, lots of hair colors, extremely flamboyant outfits. I admired the outfits. I was like, how did they put that many fucking sequins on that thing? Right. She's got sequins and beads. I mean, she looks like a candy store she's wrapped a in black. Very colorful witch yeah which i kind of appreciated actually you know i mean so often you fall back on the witches in black robes or dingy colors or whatever and this is a glam ass witch she's a hot witch and you don't really see hot witches <laughs> a lot in in cinema i wasn't necessarily saying she was hot but i'm sure. saying not going to disagree i'm not going to say no no i'm not going to argue no I'm saying when it. you when you see a hot witch, they usually turn out to be in disguise or they've they've entranced yes. you or something. That's and it true. turns out they're actually a, a withered old crone. That's yeah. true. So I'm glad that didn't happen in this movie. Spoiler but I'm, I'm always looking for a goth GF. And for, you know, 80 minutes, uh, Natasha was my goth GF. And I so I kind of ended up rooting for her more than the kids. And I don't know if that was what I was supposed to feel. Oh, wow. <laughs> She's yeah. such an asshole, though. She's so cruel to them. Yes, she is. I was I was actually kind of surprised by that because Kristen Ritter is, 
you know, a charming actress and well, actually Yeah, think about Breaking Bad though. I was gonna say both the significant characters she's played are extremely flawed. Um, or the most well-known characters she's played are extremely flawed. I don't know. There was still, I, I guess maybe it was because it was a family movie or something. I was just expecting, I guess maybe this is spoiler-ish, but I expected this character to have um, maybe some sort of redemption arc or kind of a soft side to her. And I guess, I mean, there is a little bit. For the most part, she's just a, she's a bad dude, you know? Yeah, and it sounds like, I, I Chris, maybe you did as well. I read it little bit about the differences between the book and the film it sounds like they made an effort to make her more slightly more sympathetic in this um, oh. i don't know if that really pays off but then again I, I haven't read the book so i don't know exactly how different it hits interesting but yeah i mean she's you know enslaving this kid for his stories we're not sure exactly why that's happening and there is one other kid that he discovers that alex yeah, Alex. I keep thinking Josh. It's one of those generic white names. I can't, you can't keep them. It's Alex. Straight. Yeah, it's Alex. Um, and then the other his girl friend is, is Yasmin. Is Yasmin. Yeah, he, he meets, yes. yeah, this other girl who has also been trapped in the house and is being used sort of as a, I don't know, kitchen servant. She's always setting the table. Yeah, she's like house cleaning and cooking. Yeah. She's a maid. She's just yeah. a general, general staffer. And she's a jerk to him, too. And so is the cat, Lenore, who also turns invisible. Invisible oh, cat. Yeah. I yeah. want a Lenore. What, what do they call that kind of cat? It's one of those hairless ones. It's a Persian cat? Is that what I that think? is? Okay. And it's CG. I think almost all the time it's CG. Not not quite all. There were a couple of times where I was like, that is definitely a real cat, but it's when its face isn't like looking straight at the camera mm. because it has these big glowing blue eyes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's like two thirds fake and then one third a real cat, I think. But I was yeah. a big fan of that hairless cat. But that's Me that's too. Natasha's cat who is intelligent and enchanted in some way and, and mm -hmm. will report to Natasha the witch if the children are misbehaving. Um so they're all they're all screwed and Yasmin has been in the situation for like three years and yeah, I thought she was kind of unnecessarily mean to Alex. Um there's a lot of, you know, kind of kind of your garden variety like family movie conflict stuff where people are mm -hmm. just kind of like really mad at each other over stupid stuff just to kind of create some drama when they should just chill out <laughs> that's a very good way to describe the bulk of this movie at least as i perceived it but uh alex uh you know his his job is to write his stories and do research on his own time and try to figure out if and how he can escape this house Mm -hmm. um, which seems to be in a magical dimension. And they say that this, this isn't a physical house, really. It, it goes around the world, apparently, magically. It's an apartment. It's an apartment. It's everywhere and nowhere. And it manifested in Alex's parents' apartment building, which is how he wound up there. Yes, and it yeah. attracts children. And, okay, am I, because this movie just kind of rolled over me like a slow fog and I remember precious little of it um, except that I was very bored through most of it was was Yasmin cruel to him because she had seen so many other kids kind of come and go because they didn't cut it with the witch and she's like why should I attach to anybody because this kid's probably not going to last was did I read I, that I think correctly that's a, I don't know I if it's so. in the text but I think that's okay. a smart way to view it 
uh, you know, the witch, the witch has a cabinet full of like precious moments figures that she's made out of all the like past kids. In a closet full of their clothes. Yeah. Just like dozens and dozens of outfits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Yasmin yeah. is, has, you know, there's some degree of like intellectual superiority almost there that she's like managed to survive for so long. And it's like, okay, here comes another one mm-hmm. who is going to be immediately disappeared by the witch. And also Alex doesn't really know how things work here. He screws up, you know, from time to time. Oh, we said we were going to have a PG conversation about this. Oh, but we've yeah, just been too late for that. Whoops. Yeah. All right. Well, PG from here on out. Okay. Let's clean it up. We Fuck have kids no. watching. No. Heck yes. Heck Fuck yeah. no. Gosh. Gosh. Golly. Guys. Gosh darn it. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I mean, Alex does. He says hell a couple times in this. He's edgy. He's not your typical 10, 10 year old. I want to, you know what? I'm glad that you brought up the PG thing because I think this is important to discuss with this film. This film is rated PG. The protagonist has posters for some pretty brutal R rated movies in his room. Like he's seen Pet Cemetery, he's seen The Lost Boys, he's got Fangoria's strewn all over the place with blood and guts on the cover. And yet nothing in this movie is even like remotely on that level. Mm. And I, the maybe in a couple intense. In, in the end. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that in the end. And, and there are a couple delightful moments in that too, but this is my problem with which, with what people call gateway horror is like, and I think this movie kind of like kind of shoots itself in the foot in the beginning a little bit, at least for me. And that like, I think like true gateway horror is like not intended to get kids into horror, but it's horror. That's like PG 13 and that a kid might see, and it's not going to be quite as scary as an R rated film. You know what I mean? Like Beetlejuice or, you know, nightmare before Christmas or something like that. Those are both PG movies. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Beetlejuice is pretty is valid, fun. sir. <laughs> well, it's not so much about the ratings, I guess the content. I mean, Beetlejuice is pretty raunchy. We can agree on that. I mean, there's a there there are strippers in it <laughs> and and some other kind of lewd bits in there as, as well. And I, yeah, I don't know. I just think this movie feels a little bit contrived. It's like if a kid's going to get into horror, they're not going to get into it because of a movie that's genetically engineered to try and get them into horror. I, I reject the premise of this. I, I feel like you're gatekeeping the gateway to gateway horror. Like, I mean, the movie does not solely exist to get kids into horror. It's just a horror-themed film for kids. I, th- I feel like this idea of gateway horror is sort of overblown. I feel like horror nerds want gateway horror more than anybody else really does and are more specific about what it is and is not supposed to be. I mean, it's just a... It's just a horror-themed movie for the family. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not too worried about, like, what it is or isn't going to get kids into. Well, I am, goddammit. <laughs> Gosh darn I'm it. Worried ab- I'm not worried about it, but I just feel like... I, I mean, I will say I know... I've heard of several people who have very, very young kids, like six or seven, who like this movie. And the Goosebumps movies, right? There are yeah. two of those. Like, yeah, that's fine. It's just there's something weird about the fact that, like, it's it's calling out all of this, like balls to the wall horror shit in the beginning and i was like kind of hoping like oh maybe this is going to be a little bit edgier than a kid might expect like maybe it'll push him out of their out of their comfort zone a little bit and like it i didn't feel like it did that but if the but if the intended audience is like seven or eight year olds then i guess that's fine i hope they like it i hope they see that lost boys poster and one day (sighs) see that on netflix while they're scrolling and decide to click on it 
I don't need to be I don't need to be gory and edgy like you know if a kid is into some weird shit like here give him a movie that's like okay to watch if you don't feel okay with your kid seeing a bunch of violence and strippers and whatever the fuck yeah like fine who cares yeah, I just feel like, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like it's a little basic, but I'll save the rest of that for the review. Well, look, it's a little basic, but I thought, actually, not, maybe not for a 10-year-old like Alex, but yeah, for like your 7-year-olds, for your 8-year-olds, there's enough fright in this movie, I think. You think so? I think so. I mean, I mean there I is some disturbing shit, yeah. My my barometer is a little whack because I was watching like the X-Files when I was like 4 and 5. Um, Me so, too. You know, I just... I've never been phased by any of this stuff, but like I was pretty surprised at how intense some of the sequences was, were and how scary some of the creatures were and, and things like that. And I was like, okay, I can see how the, I can see how this would, would get under the skin of a, of a, of a little boy who's only watched, you know, basic bullshit, Bob the Builder until this point <laughs> yeah okay that's fair it, that's it fair. got under the skin of a 33 year old boy like i the shredders those are those are a memorable character design i feel like those are going to stick with me i'm going to remember them and i'm going to remember something else that we'll talk about in the spo- spoiler room but also pretty impressive and sort of horrifying creature design yeah. i don't know I, I i would not call this basic it's fun and i think it's creative i mostly agree with patrick and you're it's fair for you to do that. You got to have some diversity of opinion on this yeah. show. Yeah. Well, you know, I would like to hear from our listeners on this point, you know, like sort of what are good entry points for horror movies, you know, in your book, do you have children? I hope no one who listens to our show has children, but mm-hmm. if you are raising some, some little rugrats, you know, are 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 they horror fans? What got them into it? What's your plan? Let us know. It's an interesting topic for me. I'm probably never going to have kids, but there's always the possibility I'll adopt a war orphan or something and and we'll (laughs) go on this journey. So let me tell you something really quick on this topic before we continue, because I just thought of it. My supervisor has three young kids. Uh, One of the boys, I think he might be, is he the youngest or second youngest? He is obsessed. He's never seen any of the alien movies. He's way too young for that. And my supervisor, you know, has told him like, you're not ready, but this kid reads all the wikis online about the xenomorphs like genetic makeup and how they reproduce and he's obsessed he's never seen an alien movie but you know that like when he does it's gonna be his jam and he mm-hmm. can still kind of get his like nerdy little scientist brain um horror thrill out of it just by reading like stuff that you know my friend has deemed like safe for him to read online about this fictitious alien creature and i think that's a, a pretty cool way to parent in a way that um you know, maybe kids wouldn't have been able to grow up with without the internet. You should have told him it's a real alien creature. <laughs> <laughs> Just have him read the Wikipedia and be like, this is a real thing that science has discovered. <laughs> I think that'd be worse than just showing him the goddamn movie. <laughs> you know what? Here's the other thing, though, about this in terms of, you know, kids watching. It's based on a book and it's based on a, a children's book that's probably in their school libraries and stuff oh, yeah. like that. And so that's like an inroad. There's probably a lot of people coming into this movie because they read the book. That's a good point. So your kids are going to ask you to watch night books, whether you like it or not. They are. Okay. 
Well, damn, I don't know. I feel like we've done a lot of talk. We've done, put on a little seminar on child development. Uh, <laughs> haven't had that much to say about the movie. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of uh, think maybe we should just re- give our reviews and uh, then kind of break down the plot some more when we come back to the spoiler room. What do you say? Yeah. Sounds great. All right, I'll go first. I'm going to give this one a cue it. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. Not great. Not really aimed at my demographic probably but it certainly held my attention pretty well i thought the characters uh, were all pretty charming i thought the mystery elements were pretty cool it was uh, a little more visually interesting and scary in some sections than i expected it to be uh like i said i think this is gonna scare some people this is a magic house right so like there's certain certain areas of the house that we see that are are kind of uh fun and and it's not just like the characters in a musty house there's some variety to their environments as they progress mm-hmm. through the thing and, and and even somewhat some variety in genre it felt like as we go along and i thought that was all fun uh it's just a fun movie it's not great uh you know the character interactions kind of uh annoyed me a little bit at, you know but they're they're children and you know whatever i it, can't go wrong. Can't go wrong, but you know, obviously, it doesn't press my buttons so well. So cue it. That's that's my rambling review. <laughs> Steven. Um, I am also going to give it a cue it. Um, I didn't. I, I didn't dis. I didn't dislike this movie, but like once I got like ten to fifteen minutes into it, I realized like, oh, I've definitely got to see this through a different lens. This is not quite what I thought it was going to be, and that's fine. But I still think that like even even for what it is and like who the target audience is i think there's just kind of a lack of a pulse in a lot of this and it felt like there was kind of a lack of like momentum part of it is like the score is just super generic it just felt kind of chris like you said a lot of the character interactions kind of annoyed me like i didn't find these characters as charming all the time as i wanted to or the performances but it wasn't bad um it just wasn't for me and it's not made for me. I, I think that a, a very young kid who, who maybe read the book and wants to see the movie is probably going to have a blast with it. And from what I've read, there are some pretty significant changes from the source material to breathe more life into the characters and also to potentially set this up for a sequel. I mean, who would have expected that? Uh, so, you know, I think there's an audience for it. I think it belongs, you know, on the shelf alongside kind of classic like you know disney gateway horror shit maybe the goosebumps movie even i don't know it's all right kids probably love it kids probably love it hold on let me let me just say because we we both talked about the interactions i feel like even a child would not recognize the interactions in this movie as like genuine human interactions whether it yeah. be the, the 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 witch and her sort of arbitrary discipline and the way that she scolds the kid about stuff and nitpicks his stories, or whether it be the other friend who's just kind of aggro for no reason, and they I, I don't know. It's just when I compare it to something like I don't know the Page Master or Home Alone oh, or yeah. something like that, like the, those kinds of family movies. I just feel like those are much more sincere in the characterization, and this kind of feels like everybody's kind of putting on a show for the sake of the plot. The witch is a, car- yeah. a cartoon comical villain. How does she make any more or less sense than Harry and Marv? If you're going to bring up Home Alone, I mean, those are not normal human characters oh harry and marv have a have a great amount of uh interiority to them wow okay 
But Patrick, your review. Uh, we need a no, book. Ever since I, he I want, on that house, I want a mini sode on that. Oh, I would I would could talk all day about the the characterization. Every character in Home Alone has multiple levels. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Wow. Patrick. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll give it a view it. I think if you're considering watching this in the first place, you probably have the idea that it's a children's horror movie. And I think it pretty much delivers on just about any level you could ask for. I do think it sags a little bit in the middle. Um, it loses a little bit of steam. It could probably be 10 or 15 minutes shorter than it is. Um, but I was really, really charmed by, um, the young leads performance, the kid who plays Alex. Um, it's, it's the dialogue, the material he's given to work with vibrates on a very specific kind of weird level that is, you know, sort of elevated reality. Like I said, he does talk to himself a lot, but again, it's self-aware and it's done in a very charming kind of way that makes sense. Um, loved Kristen Ritter. I loved her super over the top campy performance and was not looking for it to be connected to human reality. And I just like the visual language of this film too. I mean, I, I like the atmosphere that's created in the apartment where we hang out for most of the movie. I liked the kind of unique visual look of uh, whenever Alex tells a story, which we haven't even really gotten into, but those were staged in a really cool and distinctive way. And by the time we get to the climax, that also gets into some very unique visual stuff that I feel like is gonna stick with me. So it was fun, it was charming. And I would recommend it. All right. Well, listener, if you are out of night books to read and you need some more content to read, you could go on our social media. We're at Amoncast on Instagram. We're at Amoncast on Facebook. And we're at Amoncast on Twitter. So find us there. We like to hear from you. Like I said, you know, let us know uh, what you think the kids should be watching if they're into <laughs> horror. You can also go to our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. It's broken now, but it won't be forever, so maybe not by the time you hear this. Uh, we have Unlikely. some things there, like a list of, of ratings for the things that we've watched. We have a store where you can buy a Every Horror Movie on Netflix t-shirt. Uh, and, you know, remember to like us and review us and give us five-star ratings on your podcast provider of choice. It helps people find the show. All right. I think that's all we got to tell you before we go over to the spoiler library, the skyscraper height <laughs> repository of spoilers in this old house. Take that 100 yes. story spiral staircase down there or up there. We will see you soon and we will spoil everything. Welcome back. We are here in the spoiler room, ready to spoil everything about night books. You just put a space between those two words, Chris, and I was fascinated to learn that this, that this movie is called Night Books. Night Books. It's all one word, which I found odd. Well, the the uh, Christian Ritter makes a joke about it when when uh, when Alex when he he announces you know that this, this is what his collection of stories is called. She says, "Hmm, well, I hope it's scarier than the title." <laughs> She's so hot, but also I think that's a great name for a book. I, I like like if I were t if I were ten, and I just wrote scary stories into a little journal, and I was like, these are my night books. <laughs> and talk that's so cool, man. Well, and if we sorry, I guess this is already derailing wherever you were going, Chris. But Natasha, Kristen Ritter's character, talk about gatekeeping. Just is like constantly criticizing every element of every story Alex tells, and she's like, well, 
werewolves aren't actually like that you idiot which is kind of funny because it's like okay she's a witch so she knows about these things it, it was it was a funny bit i like that element of their relationship that she's just always degrading whatever story he's telling her yeah there's always a detail there's you know a potion or whatever and she's like well everyone knows that yeah you know this and this doesn't do that yeah and i don't know it's all right i thought she could have gone a little more over the top personally but i enjoyed her performance well, listen, there's a method to her madness, and, and there are spoilers in this movie. I would say 90% of them are telegraphed an hour in advance. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just smarter than you two, but I expect I did that guess you, one of the key you, twists rather yes, early on, yes. and then I kind of forgot well. about it. Yeah. So I was, oh, I was sort of surprised anew when it did come up, because I had forgotten that I had guessed it, but I did guess it early. Well, the main twist is that um, uh, Natasha, Kristen Ritter, the witch is actually a former child who she's she's a prisoner herself <laughs> i mean aren't we she all she didn't come out of the womb like that <laughs> <laughs> right but she she was uh she was abducted by another witch and she is in the house you know uh or she, she at least originally she was in the house involuntarily mm. and we find this out because alex is in the in the library and he finds like notes from some other child who's like oh my god i've been taken by a witch i think i have a plan to escape i'm gonna make a sleeping potion i'm gonna put the witch to sleep i'm gonna mm-hmm. escape and he de- he deduces that that child was able to escape because uh she's not in the cabinet full of precious moments dead children <laughs> But then it's no surprise to anyone who's literate in media that it's actually the <laughs> Natasha. And so basically what we have here is, and, and then I think one of the Netflix descriptions says that this is a retelling of Hansel and Gretel, which may be a stretch, but it Hans- does kind of turn into that in the last, you know, the back the third or whatever. Of it. I mean, that's Hansel and Gretel what the lore. Fuck? Why do they have that in the description? Yeah. I don't know. Hansel and Gretel lore, and Gretel lore comes into the equation because we find out that basically this this apartment is owned, I guess, leased. I don't know. <laughs> held in escrow. <laughs> I don't know the arrangement, but it, it belongs to the witch, I guess, from Hansel and Gretel, who likes to eat children. It's another real estate thriller. It's a real estate thriller, and so uh, Natasha was able to um, put her to sleep and like lock her in a sarcophagus and steal her magic because you see her the whole movie. She's vaping, and she's like vaping. She's vaping magic no, she's that not. makes her eyes. <laughs> I mean, a little she's bit. Spraying right? herself with a, she's spraying herself with a perfume bottle. She's not vaping. She's spraying herself with a perfume, but it reads to the adult audiences, oh, she's vaping. Yeah, it's like shotgun vaping, where you like inhale it and blow it into someone else's mouth. She's doing yes. that with the perfume bottle. She's doing that with the camera. <laughs> um, so wow. she's apparently... And this... this so... It gets a little convoluted, but it's actually very simple. She has the witch from Hansel and Gretel entombed in a sarcophagus under a sleeping potion. The sleeping, the sarcophagus is emitting magic vape cartridge (laughs) oil. Jewel, jewel. Very high nicotine as well. (laughs) Uh, So Natasha is, is harvesting 
uh, cartridges from this sarcophagus and she vapes the magic so that she can be powerful and have all the witch's power. And the reason she cares about scary stories and, and, and cares about Alex and is a nitpicker is because the witch will stay asleep as long as she's read scary stories every night because they're like lullabies to her. But if you don't tell the stories or you tell a story with a happy ending, the witch will make wake up and she'll be very angry indeed. And that's what happens. So uh, the witch wakes up and the witch is fucking scared. The, the witch, witch is, great. is gosh darn frightening, isn't she? She is. I love <laughs> the witch. This is the best part of the movie for me. This is where I kind of uh, felt the hand of producer Sam Raimi, who's otherwise absent, because the witch yeah. looks very much like one of his characters. I thought so too. And then it gets, I mean, there's a, the witch like vomits candy colored spew at them at one point. That was yes. very drag me to hell yes. or evil dead too. They probably just reused the, the puppet from drag me to hell that that's vomit shit. <laughs> I mean, this movie seemed cheap enough that they would do that. I yeah. sensed a quite a low budget here yeah. at times. Oh, there's such amazing design to this movie though. I guess maybe a lot of it is just in a computer as opposed to building a physical set. But I was, I honestly, I was amazed at the production value of this movie. You see so many, so many of the things we watch for this podcast are so much more lazily designed. I was impressed. I was just going to say like where I felt it was cheap is like, yeah, there's some kind of cheap, a lot of CGI, but also like, you know, you can go pretty far with neon paint and stuff. You know, they use a lot of kind of cheap effects to sort of like build out these rooms in the atmosphere and like it's not a bad thing but it, it did feel a little bit low rent to me hmm. a lot of the time i don't know it's just refreshing to see color in a movie these that's days that's true i did yeah. like that uh, i was gonna say you know we were talking about you know how there's kind of a, a very unconventional design for natasha the witch and i like that we also have a very unconventionally designed witch in the end too i mean this is a horrifying looking creature not unlike the uh the woman from drag me to hell but she's encrusted in candy like there's just candy growing off her and it's disgusting and this i've is well happening never your seen anything quite like too it. much candy crush kids yeah <laughs> yeah i've never seen anything quite like it yeah very interesting good stuff scary stuff and at the end, she is just vomiting like neon colored, like cotton candy, marshmallow glob shit. At one point, she's like consuming. Oh, this is when the kids go into the, the candy house and they are sort of overtaken by this spell. But they're like eating. I mean, it's probably just turquoise jello. But that I don't know. Something about the color and the way they were jamming it in their mouths was just disgusting to that me. That was scary. That was scary. Yeah. It felt like a Perry Bible Fellowship cartoon. When they throw the witch in the, the oven, because we know that's going to happen if this is a Hansel and Gretel, you know, analog. I love the close-ups of, like, the candy, like, vaporizing yes. and bubbling off of her inside of there. I thought, it was, again, I love to see color in a movie, but that took it to another level for me. I thought it was fantastic. Burning it was a way to show sugar. something gruesome without showing blood, and I thought it was really creative. Yeah. I, I thought I thought uh, Kristen Ritter was going to be the hottest witch in this movie, but this is just ridiculous. <laughs> oh wow. How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> <laughs> About five seconds. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're going to have ourselves a little bit. So so the witch wakes up and, and, and defeats Natasha, I guess, in, in a little magic battle or something. And then uh, the kids try to escape the house. And when they do, they realize they're in like an enchanted forest. And it's, it's Hansel and Gretel. There's the forest, which it's all very, it all looks very good to Patrick's point. Very, very pretty stuff. And there's a candy house and they go and they eat the candy and they kind of get like possessed or something. Then they end up back in the real world. Uh, somehow they managed to escape into 
back into Alex's apartment building. And I forget how that happened. Do you guys remember how that happened? Is that when he like tells his true story? Oh yeah. Yeah. Which made me cry. Yeah. Oh yeah. That worked yeah, that like hurt. gangbusters for me. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's told in a slightly elevated fashion where we see a flashback to his, his friend who he's enjoyed horror with for many years. All of a Cody. sudden his friend, Cody becomes cool. Classic he's a cool dude Cody now. Move. And he doesn't like horror anymore. And he tells all the other kids, we're not going to Alex's birthday party. And Alex, of course, is understandably hurt. And it's all played just a little bit over the top, the way the way a kid would process it, actually, which is why I kind yeah, of liked a yeah. lot of that stuff. They're getting a gaming trailer. They're going to have a video game party. Yeah. They're going to play Call of Duty Warzone all night. And <laughs> again, watch horror movies. the kid who plays Alex, I thought, just killed this. I mean, because he just he communicates the hurt and kind of loss of self identity in a really heartbreaking way. And it's not, it's not overdone, but it was great. Cause we, we know that this is what happened to him, but we don't really know all the details and, and right. just how much he was wounded by the circumstances. Right. And we so know that he decided like, to swear off horror, but we don't really know why. Yeah. He's like, you know what? I want to be, I, I, I've been alienated. I'm sick of being an outsider. I'm going to burn all my horror stuff. I'm going to be a gamer too. I'm going to get the highest KDR in Warzone. I'm going to be a sweat lord. I'm going to be, I'm going to get the dub every night. I'm going to go, I'm going to show up at this party and I'm going to, I'm going to win. Chris, how do you feel about having like mastered both sides of the coin at this point in your life? You get the dub every night, but you also have a podcast about horror movies. It's, it's, there is no better feeling. And, you know, I just, I got to combine the two at some point in my life and, and just, I don't know, be a, be a gamer streamer who just talks about horror movies. But look, I got, I got a dub right before I got on here. I'm, you're they're talking to a Victor, 120 people on the server. I'm the, I'm the best. You're the two <laughs> coolest kinds of man. I am. Horror anyway. movie nerd and gaming king. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All good stuff. You, you also always get a dub when you pull up a foreign movie on Netflix. That's another dimension to you. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do always get the dub. <laughs> okay, that was sick. Uh, damn it. Um, but anyways, but so so they, they, by by telling his truth and his actual horrible story from his real life experience, he's able to get back to his real world. Uh, but guess what? The witch has followed him. The witch has followed him, and not the hot witch, the evil witch. And so they, he says, Trump and this energy. is very symbolic. This is this is very symbolic because they go. He he. They lure her down to the furnace where he was going to burn his night books. Which it's. I have a whole head cannon for how this worked out because I was like, why is a ten year old? Why does he go down into like the boiler room of his apartment building and fuck around with the furnace? Like, why is this even in his like inventory of things he can do? Uh, but I decided that his dad's probably like heating and cooling technician or like an engineer, <laughs> or one of those like science dads you read about on Reddit who's like, it's important to me that my son understand a machine, right? And he took him down there one day and said this is this is important this is the heart and soul of our building this is what keeps us alive in the winter time and and alex remembered so that's Jack why he's Torrance able to did that in the the shining novel actually mm. Mm. perfect the yeah. whole thing builds up to the the furnace exploding 
and destroying every, the building. Every good father should do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So he go, they go down there and, and he, he lures the, the witch in. and I forget Hansel and Gretel. What in the actual Hansel and Gretel story, how they get her in the oven. They trick her somehow. It <laughs> seems, like they, seems like they should have to be pretty stupid to put herself in that position, but she's pretty <laughs> stupid in this movie. He's like, re, he, he does, he basically does what they do in misery. Right. And I actually thought about misery a couple times <laughs> during mm-hmm. this movie, because it's the same mm-hmm. scenario. Um, but he basically is like, Oh, I'm reading this, the story. And wouldn't you like to know how it ends? Oh, well you don't get to, and like throws it into the fire. And the witch just like Kathy Bates is like, no, and has to go after it. And so they slam the door and they burn her in the, in the furnace and it's one of the most horrifying guy burned in a furnace moments i've ever seen in a movie <laughs> it's pretty good it's pretty gnarly i i like i uh, steven referenced this already but i like those close-ups of sugar burning and and the it's interesting too because it's not necessarily you're not necessarily seeing her skin or her face or anything it's just close-ups no. of colored sugar burning and it's almost there's a little art school vibe there you know it's just this montage that mm-hmm. that gives you the exact feeling and horror and and in um intrigue memorable visual that you need to understand what's going on yeah you hardly see like the witch actually being burned there right. are a couple of quick shots of it right. but yeah it's really well edited to 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 convey the effect without showing it because it's a it's a pg movie yeah and again, I would say PG that's podcast. kind of one of those things where it's like one of the it's one of the gnarly things about the movie, you know, like, yeah, there's not like gore necessarily kind of like traditional horror shit in here, but that's pretty memorable and it's pretty it's pretty gnarly. I'm just I'm I'm imagining all everything that happened behind the scenes to keep this at a PG rating. <laughs> the arguments between the director and the and the studio and the MPAA. They said you gotta cut five seconds off the off the witch boiling in the furnace, or we're giving it a PG thirteen. And he said, "Okay, I'll do it." But then he didn't do it. He just resubmit the same movie, and they gave it a PG. That's probably what happens. <laughs> yeah, classic. He, he just he just added five seconds of himself like burning some marshmallows instead. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, and then there's some falling action, which I don't really remember. I mean, we know. So we know that the girl who he's been hanging out with, Yasmin, has like been away from her family for three years. And now she's going to be reunited with her family. And somehow they're not going to arrest Alex's parents for abducting her three years ago. Um, and then Alex goes back to writing his stories, of course. What am I forgetting? Is there anything um, else with Alex that happens? Yasmin seems to have moved in with Alex and his family, I think, right? At the end. Or at least they continue to be friends. She continues oh, friends, to be a presence yeah. in his life. Yeah, that was, it was a little unclear what happened there. And then we get a little tease of Christian Ritter coming yeah. back. She's not dead. There's going to be a sequel. She's one of those, She's one of those Freddy things. It's the Freddy car again. Can't just let well, the movie end. She's gotta... kind of. I think she'll be a hero if they make another one. It's so unclear that that was a very weird scene to me and maybe my least favorite thing in the movie because they show the little precious moments figures of all the other kids that she imprisoned, killed, whatever, starting to like crack and move like they're coming back to life, which I guess means her enchantment is fading. But then you also see her hand and she cackles in a very evil way. And those two ideas were very conflicting to me. And I honestly wasn't really sure what the intention was there other than to just be like, Hey loser, don't you want to see some more of what happens next? Here's some vague ideas. It was, it was like, I do. it was like, don't the call worst. me a loser. I do. It was like <laughs> the worst of the Marvel post credit scenes to me where they're just like, eh, let's throw him a bone. 
Let's make it. Let's make them try and figure this one out. We'll and we'll figure out what the fuck we're doing with it later. You know. That's why I lean over to Patrick at the end of the Marvel movie. I'm like, what was that? He's like, oh, that was. Don't you remember that guy from Iron Man two? I'm like, I fucking don't. <laughs> <laughs> or or he's or I'm like, what's that? He's like, that's a that's a scroll. And I'm supposed to be like, oh okay. I, I got it. <laughs> this is Thank like you. today when Chris G chatted me and was like, is it canon that Superman can create like a little aura around people when he flies them into space? And I was like, no, that's just some shit that one of the Superman movies made up. They also said yeah. he could telepathically lobotomize people, which is not canon either. I wonder if Brightburn can do any of these things. <laughs> we need Brightburn v. Superman, Dawn of Aaron Tereshevsky or whatever his name is. What's the director's name? I, I don't know. I, I closed D that Darren tab. Aronofsky. That's his name. <laughs> Chris is done with this movie. I, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else to say? Oh, I mean, done. I want to, I want to explicitly give a, uh, give a, give a shout out to the greenhouse section, which we've alluded to a lot, but that's mm. kind of the, the more visually unique section where they go into where the witch grows all her magical plants and it's all green and they have to wear like thermal goggles to see around. And then there's these little spider things that have, they have some, uh, slap, I would call it slapstick horror, uh, with those things. And that's all mm. fun. Oh, there's one thing we didn't talk about that Patrick did mention very briefly earlier that we should get out of the way, I suppose, before we close the night book. Um, we haven't really talked about like how like the, the visual element to his stories that he tells, which Patrick indicated that he liked. I thought they were kind of cheesy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like 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 early like Tim Burton short films where it's like a like a lit up cardboard illustrated background. You know, very kind of like two dimensional with actors in in front of it. And it, was, it feels it was like fine. they were trying to save some fine. money. It feels like they're trying to save some money. It was fine, but there's also hmm. like a cheap. There's like a cheap. There are two cheap effects to it. One, like frames drop from it at a very, like at a very like scheduled rate to make it look like it's an older film. And there's also like a cheap layer of like grain dropped over yeah, it yeah. to look like an old student film. And it, you know, it's it. it it's serviceable, but I thought it was kind of cheap looking. I thought that uh, that playground story was pretty scary. That was a good story. That was the best one, I think. Yeah, I can't. I I hope they make a Nightbook Cinematic Universe and we get a whole movie about that. I don't the Ghost Girl. I don't mind Ghost GF. I don't mind cheap, and I'm going to connect the the last two points with this with this point because I th I think you can do a quote unquote cheap effect and still have it be really cool and and to me the visual aesthetic of his stories was that like sure maybe they just painted some rather simple sets to look like a child's illustration with human actors walking amongst them but that looked cool and it really serviced the the plot and serviced what they were trying to do with that it it visually communicated the idea of a child's story come to life and I liked that a lot you kept using the word service it serviced the material but it didn't transcend i would have liked to see something just a little bit more creative and out there maybe hmm. um, especially because we get that same thing over and over again throughout the movie like each one of the stories is set in front of like a red background with black and white cardboard it would have been cool if there were like some maybe different styles used for each story or something hmm. I don't know, but yeah, you were talking about the greenhouse. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an aesthetic that I enjoyed returning to the greenhouse. Um, you know, and I think that was what you were um, alluding to earlier when you mentioned neon paint or whatever. I liked the mm -hmm. greenhouse scene, but it was a little more obnoxious to me, and that's a little more where it's bordering on to me something that seems cheap because it 
looked like they just put a lot of black light paint they, on they everything just and threw a black light on. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was very Zapzone aesthetic, which I mean, I liked to a certain degree, but also, I don't know. It was a very obnoxious aesthetic that came out of nowhere for that rather lengthy sequence. And there were there were things I liked about it. The shredders were very memorable, but that was kind of the section where it was starting to sag. And I was like, what are we doing here? Is the, is the narrative going anywhere? Or are we just kind of doing little adventure vignettes with these kids? Um, and fortunately, it picked back up. But I don't know. That's for me, those, those scenes kind of uh, exemplify the distinction between like good sheep and and not bad sheep, but less inspired sheep, I guess. That is right. Like I could clock it. Like that's right when I was like, oh my God, what is this movie doing? And I told you, I was texting while I was watching mm-hmm. it. Like I, I got to put this to bed for now. Mm-hmm. Got to close the nightbook for a while because it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> I didn't stop it, but I definitely had similar feelings at that point. It was, yeah, it was a little laggy right around then. Well, that's nightbooks. <laughs> Time to time to time to. Time, I was gonna say time to turn the page, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't make that doesn't make any sense to anybody. There's no pages left to turn. <laughs> it does. Otherwise, um, that would have been because great. we referenced Seeger with Nightbook, uh, so we yeah, turned the page. Yeah, that was like a whole episode ago, though. But yeah. Um. So what the hell are we watching next week, Patrick? It's your turn to choose. Oh yes. I believe. Yes. Yes. Unless yes. you want, unless you want to pass and let Stephen pick. No, no, no. I'm I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> Because Chris had an interesting little trail of breadcrumbs that led to his pick last episode, I I also have a similar trail of breadcrumbs that leads to my oh, pick, God. which is something I've been <laughs> wanting to pick for a while. Stephen, you have no appreciation for storytelling. You guys, you guys, let's hear it. Um, okay, so the first breadcrumb is I recently watched a Tignataro stand-up special for the first time in my life, and I loved it. Oh, the fabulous. second, the second. Oh, she's so great. I love her, my queen. The second breadcrumb. Oh, oh, I know where we're going. I the know second breadcrumb <laughs> is this film recently received a very special honor from the Oscars. The third. Oh, I'm so oh, fucking no. happy. No, I'm so fucking. No, no. They said. <laughs> they said this day would never come. <laughs> the third breadcrumb is Chris recently went to Comic Con wearing one of this director's works around his body. We we're watching Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. You're welcome. Dude, Give I'm fine it to with me. it. I already Give watched half me. of it. It was. Oh, did you? It was. It was okay. Yeah, I was curious. No spoilers. It's all right. No spoilers. Not, I didn't say I was going to spoil it. I'm very I'm curious. So first half was all right. I might even watch. Wait, which dead movie did he do back in the day that like made his career? Dawn. Dawn. Of he the rebooted Never seen Dawn. That. Never seen that. It's good. It's, it's good. good. Oh wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't and, know how well it holds up, but I loved it when it came out. Like, I mean, regular listeners have probably gathered. I hate. Zack Snyder with a fiery fucking passion. Fuck that guy. But He's I've been, been through curious enough. about this movie. Why you movie. gotta diss him on our show? Listen, listen. His personal struggles, which are terrible, awful, and tragic, have nothing to do with his shitty-ass creative output, at least what I've seen of it. That's all I have to say. God bless. All right. I'm the Zack Snyder defender in, in this chat, but I, I'll, let, I'll let Patrick have the last word on that. Um, we'll, we'll get yeah, into it I'm next excited. time. We'll get into I'm it. I'm excited. Time. I'm also so, sort of curious to see um, Army of Thieves. The prequel, right? Well, yeah. Yes. And I mean, I guess I should say, I don't know. I just brought a lot of negative energy to the table. I'm also very curious about this movie. Like, I've heard it's I've heard it's good. It won an Oscar, you know. 
and not not like the, <laughs> not, not like not the, in the conventional sense <laughs> not like the snyder fans have ever gamed any other system to their advantage in the past um but uh, no i've heard it's i've heard it's at least decent and i'm curious about it so that's what's next can't wait all right i literally can't wait usually i always say i can't wait but i really can't wait this time um so yeah that'll be in two weeks we'll be watching Zack snyder's army of the dead i'm so excited um so join us then dude and what if Zack snyder emails me after this episode and is like got drunk listen to your episode and you got some shit wrong as fuck and 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 Zack snyder comes on two episodes from now and completely recontextualizes my relationship to Zack Snyder and Chris never lets me off the um, hook for the rest of my life. That would be fun, but I would say it's it's not Zack Snyder's burden to re-educate you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, well, on that note. <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll see y'all again in two weeks. Uh, you know, hit us up online in the meantime. You know, again, I, I'm curious. I really am curious about what our listeners think is good entry point horror for for children. So let us know. But until uh, until we talk about Army of the Dead, that's all we got. So for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. See you next time.